0: Lily Tomlin, not many young people remember Lily, I mean, I can just guarantee you, if you remember Lily Tomlin, you're probably over 45, so raise your hand if you remember Lily Tomlin, yeah, okay, very good, either that or you watch some OT, I don't know why you know Lily Tomlin, Sean, what is up with that, oh, because your mom, okay, that, that explains a lot right there, your mother explains a lot no matter what, all right, okay, <laughs> Lily Tomlin made this quote. She says, why is it that when we speak to God, we're said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we're said to be schizophrenic? <laughs> and that's coming from someone that I don't necessarily believe as a believer. Newsweek reported several years ago that 13% of Americans who say they're agnostic or atheists, th- 13% of Americans say they're agnostic or atheists, one out of five of them pray daily. Yeah, I didn't understand that either. <clears throat> and then there is a professor, Lurman, of anthropology at Stanford University. She wrote a book called When God Talks Back, Understanding the American Evangelical Relationship with God. And she made this comment in talking with a lot of people in churches. She makes this comment, says, the unusual auditory experiences reported by congregants just weren't like that. In other words, they weren't crazy and strange. They weren't... Um, the kind of things where God told me to jump off a cliff and I would fly. She says they weren't like that. Matter of fact, these type of experiences were very rare. Most people said that they had one or two in their lifetime, but if they had one at all. And they were brief. They were just words. They were pleasant. Well, this morning, our text is in First Samuel. So open up your Bibles to First Samuel. And we're going to be hearing the story of a young man who heard from God. So open up there. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to read the first 10 verses there. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, so if you're reading from something else, just, you know, let's all end in verse 10 together, all right? Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and the word from the Lord was rare in those days, and visions were infrequent. And it happened at that time, as Eli was lying down in his place, Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. That the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down. So he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose, and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel for a third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down. In his place, and then the Lord came and stood and called at it as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant is listening. Samuel was the son of Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was unable to bear children, and she pleaded with God to be able to do so. God granted her favor and gave her a son named Samuel, and in her great gratitude, she dedicated Samuel to service for the Lord. And so Samuel was being raised here in the tabernacle. If you read the first two chapters, you see the story of Hannah and Samuel and how she, took, she still came and brought him things and had a relationship with him and so forth. But he was serving there in the tabernacle. He lived there and he served underneath the leadership of Eli, an old, old priest and two evil sons, literally evil sons. You'll see that Eli, and you see there, he is so old that his eyesight has begun to dim. And our text today records God calling Samuel eventually to replace Eli, if you were to continue to read the text. Now, when you, when you read this story, when you hear it, what are some of your thoughts about it? What some of your reactions? What pops out? I mean, it's not like it's a long text. You know, it's that basically it's like he says... Speak for your servant is listening. What is something? What's what strikes you about that, Karen? Yeah, it took four times for him to get it. All right, that's not very many compared to me. Anyone else? Yeah, Kevin. He needed help to understand what's happening. Great. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else, Terry? Yeah, really. She said Eli was an old priest and it took him four times to understand what was happening around him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyone else? Don't you wonder whether we have ever had God call us and we didn't recognize his voice? Hearing an, an, an audible voice, I think, is rare. I don't know that it happens an awful lot. That's what this professor found in talking to evangelicals, people in churches, that they didn't really hear an audible voice very often ever. And yet people talked about being led by God. And I think having that impression, having that think when you just, you just know this is the right thing you're supposed to do or know that you should not be doing this or whatever the case may be, having those experiences is much more common And for our time today, I don't really want us to consider how many of us have heard from God literally speak to us necessarily. We're not going to explore what we might do to encourage God to speak to us either because when you look at this passage, often that's what some people do with it. It's like, how can we hear from God more often? The fact of the matter is this. We hear from Him as much as we want to. Instead, today... What we're going to do is we're going to talk about how people respond to him. How we respond to him. God spoke in this manner to a few people. He spoke to Abraham in Genesis 22. He spoke to Jacob in Genesis 46. He spoke to Moses in in Exodus 3 and Isaiah in 6 and Ananias in Acts. But we're not talking about that. I really want us to talk about what we already begun. And it's like focusing on the reaction of the boy. Now, I would, I would characterize his reaction as, would you say it was complete? I mean, he didn't, he didn't, I, I just got to tell you, when my kids were waking me up in the middle of the night, I didn't jump up and say, here I am, what can I do for you, son? I said, I'm supposed to be loving you right now. What can we do to get you to be quiet so I can go back to bed? It's like being woken up in the middle of the night is not a pleasant thing. Can you imagine Eli? It wasn't me. Go lay down, you know. But this, this young boy's response is recorded as being each time he got right up and said, what do you need? Here I am. His response was complete. His response was agreeable. His response was immediate. His response was eager. It was uncomplaining. That stood out to me because I'm just so complaining. And, and before we talk more about Samuel, let's realize what God did in the story. God came to Samuel. Do you remember our first topic we talked about here in this series, Genesis 3? God went into the garden and said, where are you? And we talked about that God is always seeking mankind. And here, I just want to point out to you, here we are again in another story from the text or from the scripture. And God, again, is going after. He's the one pursuing. He's the one that came to Samuel in here. And so I just wanted us to notice that. He, he went out in Genesis and said, Adam, where are you? And in that case, Adam hid. But in this case, this young boy goes, here I am. And pe- people seem to have certain reactions to God when he does call their name. They tend to disbelieve or disobey. Look at Samuel's response is more unique than typical. So, for instance, in Moses' case, his response was disbelief. You know, if you were, if you were to go to um, um, Exodus chapter 4 um, and just look at, at Moses' response there. Moses, you know, God approaches him while he's out tending the sheep. And he's there in the desert, and God chooses to get his attention through a burning bush. God begins to tell him his his desire for him to go and serve, for his desire for him to go and bring the children of Israel back out of Egypt. So he gives him the task, and he says, you're going to go, and you're going to do this, and you're going to be my witness. Verse 8, he says that in chapter 4 of Exodus. And the first thing that Moses does, he goes, me? You're asking me? In verse 10, he says, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor, he's kind of like, I've never talked well. i never talked well in the past. I don't talk well now. I won't talk well in the future. I've never done that. You've spoken to me. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. And then in verse 13, God explains to him. He goes, who made man's mouth? Who makes him dumb? Who makes him deaf? Who makes him seeing? Who makes him blind? It's me. And then he goes, now go, and I will be your mouth. Moses says, please, please don't send the message with me. Send it with anyone else you want to. Don't send it with me. He he is in disbelief that he could be the one that God was going to choose to operate through him. How often have we been like that? How often have we just simply not believed that God has asked us to do something? Can you think of a time... When you believed that you had that little impression? When you are sensing something and you really wish God would audibly say it so you wouldn't have any uncertainty? Now, let's just pause right there. We think that, don't we? Matter of fact, who was I talking to this week? And they just said, I just wish God would skywrite it. You know, I just wish God would skywrite it and then I would know. You want to know something? Think about this. Moses is standing in front of a talking, burning bush. I mean, like, how much more obvious do you need? It's a bush that's on fire and not being consumed. And it's talking. And we would say, I just wish God would put a message in the sky. And so even when we have talking, burning bushes, we still say, you can't mean me. You can't really believe that I'm the one who's supposed to go do this. We still, I mean, even when we have the most unnatural, miraculous movement of God, we still find a way to argue with him. Disbelief. It is disbelief. Now, and when we do that, you, you see it in the passage here, but when we do that, what are we doubting? What are we really disbelieving we're not disbelieving that God could use us as much as or, or that we are the right person. We're disbelieving that God could use us. That God could do something through us. Because even God says that. God cuts right to the chase in chapter four of Exodus, verse 10. He goes, Who made man's mouth? Who made him deaf? Who made him dumb? Who made him seeing? Who made him blind? I did. And so if I can make a man deaf, if I can make him blind, if I can open his eyes, if I can loosen his tongue, if I can open up his ears, if I can do all that, can I not make you eloquent? And Moses says, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you got the wrong guy. There's someone else that you should send. You obviously don't have a very good plan here. Disbelief. When we hear from the Lord, we often disbelieve. And it's not disbelief, and really, we say it's about us. We really do. We say, well, I've got this checkered past, and God would never use me. We say, oh, well, I've never been to seminary. God would never use me. We say, you know what? I don't have time. God would never use me. We have all these reasons why we are the wrong person. And really what we're saying in all those things is, is it not that we're the wrong person? But God couldn't possibly do anything through me. We're saying more about him than we are about ourselves. The other thing that we often do is disbelieve, disobey. Jonah is our example of that. You know the story of Jonah? He's a great example of disobedience. Obviously, God spoke to him. And he did not doubt God's message at all. Not at all. There is no disbelief in this story at all. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. That's that's what he was told to do. He was told to go to Nineveh, the arch enemy of Israel. Go to Nineveh and preach repentance there. Ask them to seek forgiveness. Jonah hated Nineveh so much that he couldn't see himself obeying God. He just couldn't see it happening. And he knew that if he went and he preached that message and anyone in Nineveh did repent, that God would forgive them. There is nothing about Jonah's story that's disbelief. He knew God would do it. He knew God could do it. And he knew that God would forgive them, even though they were really terrible, violent, horrible people. He believed in God and he hated Nineveh so deeply that disobedience was his only choice in his mind. Do any of us dislike? None of us would say we hate. We're too, we're too good Christians for that. None of us would say we hate somebody. But we could often say, I don't enjoy them. I don't like them. We come from different backgrounds. Hey, I'm using those words because I've said them. And those are the very words we use to disobey God. It can also be not so much uh, uh, not liking someone or even hating them that causes us to disobey God. It can also be hatred of something. I don't like the sinner. I don't like a sinner city. I don't like to go down there. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to send my kid down there. I'm not going to go. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be embarrassed. I'm not going to do that. Now then that embarrassed one that one right there is the one that we struggle with the most. I don't want to be labeled like people label Christians on TV. We often don't stand out, stand up, speak up, and do. What we know is the right thing to do because it can be embarrassing. Who of us, who among us hasn't experienced that? When you answer yes to that, you just put yourself in the same category as Jonah. It's not that you didn't disbelieve God. It's that you disobeyed him. You were like Samuel. You did hear from him. Maybe not audibly, but you did hear from him. And you believed him, but you chose to disobey. Crossing says that we exist to be and make committed followers of Jesus Christ. Well, one of the things that committed followers of Jesus Christ do is we want what God wants. It says followers. That means you follow him. That means that he leads and you go behind him. That means when he goes to Center City, you go there too. That means when he goes to that person that you don't enjoy so much, that you go there too. So committed followers go where he leads. Committed followers are people who don't let conflict out there and simmer. They are, because God is always leading us toward reconciliation. Committed followers. Don't leave needs unmet because it's uncomfortable, because he's going there to meet those needs. Committed followers of Jesus, they, they do what he wants to do. They say what he wants to say. They think the way he wants to think. Matthew 6.33 is this great umbrella passage that we could live our lives by very easily. The passage just simply says, Seek ye first his kingdom. In other words, do what he's doing. Follow him where he leads. Go where he goes. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Be about Jesus completely first. And then everything else is going to fall in behind you. Everything else is going to come in, it says. Anyone who is seeking God's kingdom more than their own is not a follower of Jesus Christ at that moment. And what's happening is that as we begin to follow, as we begin to take baby steps, as we begin to follow him in this small area and in that small area, we begin to know his voice better. And it may never be an audible voice, but we'll know when he's doing a work in our hearts and we can't deny it. And the more you deny it, the more you won't hear from it. And the more you hear from it and you obey it, the more it is easier to do so. You are building a faith muscle. You're building an obedience muscle. And some of us, if we were to obey him today, and some of us, if we were to follow him day, today, we would be sore tomorrow because we haven't used that muscle in so long. We would say, I didn't know I had a muscle there. It hurts. And when we don't obey, when we diso- believe and we disobey, what happens is, is we don't hear his voice. In the case of Samuel, God called four times. And the first three times were confusing to the boy. And then he went to Eli, and Eli didn't understand at first immediately. But when the boy didn't know it, it was God speaking, how did he learn it was from God? Because as we already said over here by Kevin, someone pointed it out to him. Someone else helped him. God uses others to speak to us and to direct us and to encourage us and to convict us. And there are times when we need to bounce things off of each other, what we're learning, what we're feeling, what we're thinking. There's so often that I'll say to Betty or to the church staff, I'll say, you need to tell me if I'm thinking wrong here. Because left to myself, I'd be wrong a lot. But I need people to say, no, that's not really the right way to think about that. That's not really the best way to approach that. Have you ever considered this part of it? So small groups and Bible studies are really important. In our recent study that we did with the center, when you guys filled out all the surveys, 61% of us attend a small group at least frequently or at least regularly regularly. And 41% of us say that that small group keeps us at crossing. It's in these venues of small groups and Bible studies. We have three new Bible studies that started last week. We have another one that starts next month. And it's in those places where you can say, I never hear from God. But when you go there and you hear how other people are hearing from God, you begin to say, I did hear from God and I didn't obey. I did hear from God and I thought that that was something else. And these small groups and these Bible studies are places where you can begin to understand what God is saying to you. There are these places where you can begin to understand how you should obey when you hear it. There are places where they, you become a better follower of Christ. And finally, notice one other thing. Eli, by best estimation, was probably 12 to 13 years old. He was cleaning the tabernacle. That's what he did. He dusted. He swept. Pretty mundane stuff. God did not go out and, and seek to find the most educated person around the tabernacle. He did not go out and seek to find the most wise person around the tabernacle. He did not go out and seek to find the most humble person around the tabernacle. He didn't go out to seek and find all the things that we think that God is looking for when he chooses to put his hand on someone and say, I want you to serve me. He chose a boy. Again, that's his way. He does that twice in this book of Samuel. Later on, he'll do it with David. He chose someone that no one else was looking, and he says, you're my man. Samuel, you're going to replace Eli. David, you're going to become the next king. Don't think that you need anything special to serve God in amazing ways. Don't think over here, students, that you need to be out of school or anything, something special to serve God in really significant ways. you don't, you have to be yielded to him and willing to be listening to him and follow him. That's all. Apparently, God knew that about Samuel. Samuel proved him right. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And then finally, one closing thought. God told me. I'm just going to take care of this real quick. i got to tell you, the most fearsome thing a pastor can hear is someone walk through the door and say, God told me. What do you do with that card? God told me. God told me that this is what I'm supposed to do. Does that align with the Bible? God told me that I'm supposed to date that person. That person doesn't know Jesus. That doesn't align with the Bible. I don't think God told you that. Is it affirmed by leadership? Does it build relationships? Does it build unity in the church or in your small group, or does it divide? Does it honor your relationships and your obligations? God never tells you to do something that takes you out of your family, takes you out of serving him to do something else. It just doesn't work that way. Your first obligation is to your family. Your first obligation is to disciple them or obey your parents, whatever the case may be. God does not tell you to do something that is going to be counter to his word or to the leadership of your local church. You can talk to me later about that if you want to because I'm sure other people have different opinions about that. But that's what I believe Scripture teaches, and that's how we've handled things here at Crossing very often. So can you imagine a life... What it would be like for us as individuals. As a church, if our mantra was, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Can you imagine what it would be like for you and your family if, you know, at the dinner table or at the breakfast table someone came and says, I think this is what God's telling me. And at the table you guys pray about that. Can you imagine what it would be like in your small group and your Bible study and you say, what's God telling you? And we begin to train each other. We begin to expect each other to hear from him. And then not just to hear from him, but then to obey. And you have a small group of people, your family, your Bible study, your small group, whoever it may be, the worship team, whoever it may be, who says, that's great. What are you going to do with it now? Can we pray for you about that? Can we walk with you in that way? Can we encourage you there? I I told you before, I don't do this alone. I can't do this alone. I need a small group with me. I need someone that talks to me. I need someone that sits across the table and says, you're... Absolutely crazy. This is what, this is, that God would never say that. You need to rethink that. Or they'd say, you're in sin if you don't do that. You need to do that.